Romans chapter 8. Look at the last word of verse 30. Glorified. Let's pray together. So, Lord, help us now. We pray, our great God, as we, as I, try to speak from your word about this truth, about this doctrine of glorification. May we understand it. May we see in the context, Lord, would you call unbelievers this morning to yourself through Jesus Christ that they might be justified And would you help my brothers and sisters who are believers, Lord, have very real hope in the midst of suffering and in the midst of our own sin. Lord, help us with humble boldness now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to speak to you this morning um, about one word. The word is glorification. Obviously, that goes with the uh, last word of Romans 8.30. So the word is glorification, and if you say, you've lost me already, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we're not going to take anything for granted this morning. As you know, I can't speak to you about just one word and, and not look at the context. Uh, that'd, be, that'd be really hard to do. And so we've also got to uh, spend at least a little time looking at the immediate context of this word. What does this word mean in Romans chapter 8 and specifically in Romans 8, 28 through 30? Look at Romans 8, 28. Have you ever heard this verse before? We did touch on it very briefly last week. Romans 8, 28. And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Have you heard that before? All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Say one more brief word of explanation. We, we do value keeping things pretty simple here uh, at Crossway. And so, as I said earlier, the Lord Jesus has given his church two ordinances, although some people call them sacraments. So we do the Lord's Supper at least once a month, if not more. And then the reason we're looking at this passage, just so you know, if you hear us, I mean, you may have already noticed, like, is he just like, you know, does this church just... Is this what they do every Sunday is just camp out on a word like predestined or something like that? No, we just, this is where we're at in the book of Romans. And uh, we're just looking at God's word and we don't put our views on top of God's word. We want to see what does God's word say, regardless of what it says, uh, let's let it speak. Okay, let's, let's let it say what it says and not my ideas. You don't need my ideas. You don't need to know what I think or what I say. But I will preach to you so that we'll worship God together. Now, Romans chapter 8, this is probably, unless some unforeseen event, this is probably our last sermon. This is the fourth sermon on Romans chapter 8. Maybe you know it's been called the Great Eight. 
So today we're talking about glorification, which goes hand in hand with the shining bright light, big idea of Romans 8. And the number one thing that Romans 8 is about, dear friends, is assurance. Assurance. Okay, that's, that's the key idea that we can have confident hope as believers in the future that God has for us. Assurance is the key idea of Romans chapter 8, and it goes hand in hand. We're not talking about something radically different today when we talk about glorification. Assurance. So we're told that at one of his meetings, uh, D.L. Moody met a man who said to him, I just can't feel that I'm saved. Uh, So D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody was preaching. This man came up to him. I can't feel. He's in anguish. I can't feel that I'm saved. Moody replied, I want to ask you a question. Was it Noah's feelings that saved him or was it the ark? The man answered, oh, I see it now. And that is this idea of Romans chapter 8 on the whole of all 39 verses. It's, it's 39 verses that ultimately talk about assurance. As Moody said to this man, what saved Noah when God sent the flood upon the earth? Was it Noah's feelings? Oh, I really feel like I'm saved. Or some people, some people are actually deluded. And I don't mean that in in any type of weird way, but some people are actually deceived. Oh, I know I'm saved. It doesn't matter whether we know it or not. What matters is does God know us? What matters is not how you feel. What matters is the ark. Was Noah saved by his feelings or was he saved by God's provision of a physical ark? And the same thing holds true. You and I. You and I can know, we can know that one day, in spite of the sufferings of this life, in spite of those things that are external sufferings, and in spite of those things that are internal, our sin, we can know with assurance that glory is waiting on us. We can know it because the ark is Jesus Christ. Everybody knows the story of Noah's Ark, right? I think it was even uh, a few, was it Russell Crowe, right, who helps to bring it to light, probably in unhelpful ways, many unhelpful ways. I didn't see it. But the text is what matters. We don't need drama in church. We don't need theater. We don't need to come up and do a play this morning because God's word already has the drama. And in the story of Noah's Ark, those who were saved were, listen, only those who were in the ark. And in the same way, only those who run to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's ark, we might even say. Well, as we look at this text today, there's really two simple things, okay? Two simple things. One is we're kind of focusing on a topic, glorification. But then we can't do that without looking at the context. And so we also want to see the golden chain glorification and the golden chain so let's look at that first glorification glorification we've already pointed out that even though i keep saying over and over again glorification that last word is not 
given to us in precisely that way. In verse 30, you see that it is the word glorified. It is what we may call in English, uh, what tense is that? Is it the future tense? Is it the present? No. What we would call in English, we would call the past tense, of course, right? Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me just go ahead and tell you what this means. Because even for the seasoned Christian, are you here this morning as a seasoned Christian? We're glad you're here, seasoned Christian. But even for the seasoned Christian, glorification can be like, what is that? Here's what it is. At its essence, at its core, is that believers in Jesus Christ will receive resurrected bodies on the day of the Lord. That's what? That's what we're talking about here. When you see that word glorified at the end of Romans 8.30, glorification, what that means, you just think resurrected bodies in a new heavens and a new earth. God's people will receive resurrected bodies. Now, there's more that could be said than that, but... I always like keeping things simple. Now, if that's the case, if that's true, that glorified equals believers receiving resurrected bodies, then I just want to stay here in Romans chapter 8 for a minute. Just here in Romans chapter 8, just see this beyond just this verse, okay? So, verse 18, look at God's word with me. Verse 18, for I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So verses 18 through 30 go together. You should not read verse 30 in isolation. Verses 18 through 30 go together. This is what's on Paul's mind. Paul is the human author of the book of Romans. God is, of course, the author. Paul's the human author. And this is what's on his mind, is glory, the holy splendor of God. Look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see it there? It's the same thing, right? That we would be glorified with him. You see, we gather here this morning, friends, We're not just doing something. We're not just doing it because we're the Rotary Club. No, not throwing any shame at the Rotary. We're not just going through any type of motions. We've gathered because Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over everything. He has lived a perfect life. He has died on the cross in our place as our substitute, bearing the wrath of God upon his head, we might say. He's alive. He's been raised from the dead. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. You can't say, like perhaps ancient Roman Catholics, I'm I'm going to discipline my body and even torture my own body. You can't suffer so that God will approve of you. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, make no mistake, or if you desire to become a Christian this morning, then that means following Jesus, who suffered first and then entered into his glory. Jesus has been glorified. Here's another point at which the whole sermon is in a sense summarized, okay? Jesus is glorified. 
What does that mean? Well, Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is at the right hand of God right now. He's praying for believers. He's interceding for believers. He's in a new glorified body. And so there's a sense in which believers are actually already glorified as well. We've been raised with Christ. But Jesus suffered first before he entered into glory. Look at verse 23. Now, all of this, we're just thinking about glorification. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who share the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Christians are people who already are saved, but we are not yet saved. We are already adopted. This is the highest, in one sense, the highest privilege of the gospel. We are already adopted. If you're a Christian, you're an adopted child of God the Father. If you're a Christian, you are an adopted son of God. Son being the intentional usage that Paul uses, not not to leave out the ladies at all. But because of the significance that we've spoken of before, if you're a Christian, you are an adopted son of God. But you are not yet adopted. Did you see what he says in verse 23? We're waiting for our adoption. And what is it precisely for which we are waiting? We're waiting, please see this, for the redemption of our bodies. Christianity is not against the material world. Christianity is not some float on a cloud. Christians who go to heaven will not be playing harps on clouds. We are looking forward to new heavens and a new earth and bodies that will be raised. Jesus is already glorified. So will we if we are in Christ. Christianity is not against the physical. Christianity, in fact, is built centrally on the physical on the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so will we be transformed. Romans chapter 8 pulses over and over 23, verse 11, verse 30, with this idea that the Christian hope, the Christian hope is the redemption of our bodies. That is our hope is glorification. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The the sobering truth of the Bible is that unbelievers will be raised on the last day And be given bodies that are perfectly suitable to spend eternity in hell. And the glad truth of Christianity is that believers will be raised and given new bodies like the body of Jesus. That are perfectly suitable to worship God actively forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Now we're talking about glorification. I said there was two main headings, right? But we can't do that without looking at the context. And the context is this golden chain. Now, what is the golden chain? We know what you can uh, visualize a golden chain. 
Uh, this phrase, the golden chain, comes from hundreds of years ago from a Puritan author who titled, I think, a book, The Golden Chain, Romans 8, 28 through 30. And what this golden chain is, and if, no, no big deal if you don't get these precise points, but there's, there's, there's four movements and there's five links in the chain. And for the Christian, it doesn't get any better than this. This golden chain. Now work the chain backwards. Here's the chain backwards. It's glorified or glorification, justification, calling. Okay, we're doing backwards. Glorification, justification, calling, predestination, and foreknowledge. So this golden chain, there's five links in the chain, and there's four movements, right? From foreknowledge to predestination, from predestination to calling, from calling to justification, and from justification to glorification. And here's the deal. The chain can't be broken. The, the, the chain can't be broken. It's been pointed out. Unlike a, a school, a university, or a grad school, probably the best example is a university where many thousands enroll, many thousands enroll at a, a totally inferior university like the University of Alabama or something like that. <laughs> They enroll by the thousands, but then how many actually walk the stage? I mean, probably a majority, but is there a 100% carryover from those who enroll at the get-go to those who finish the course, so to speak? That is precisely not the case here. Everyone who enrolls, by the way, they don't enroll themselves, everyone who enrolls finishes. There is no, not any way that the chain can be broken. And this is precisely what Paul is saying to them and what God says to us. He says, I don't know if you noticed, by the way, glorified, as we did say, is in the past tense. If you think about that at all, then you might think, okay, my body is not transformed yet. I haven't been raised from the dead. Glorification in our experience is future, right? You see that? In our experience, glorification is future. From the perspective of God, it is as good as done. From God's perspective, it is past, partly because Jesus has already been raised. This has everything to do with Jesus. You know it's not about us. You and I are not the apple of God's eye. God didn't love you so much that he just had to send Jesus to die for you. We are unworthy worms. Now, we are made in the image of God. We are created in the likeness of God. There is nothing on earth like human beings made with special dignity, absolutely. And we are high-handed, treasonous rebels. The apple of God's eye is Jesus Christ. And there is no way that this chain can be broken. There's no way that the chain can be broken because Jesus has already been glorified. You see, it's about Jesus. Look to Jesus this morning. Look to Jesus. Look away from yourself. Stop trying to find answers in here. Stop trying to find answers through psychology, although I don't diminish it. Look to the word of God. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And using the past tense here, it is as though it is also saying Philippians 1, 6, 
For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's as good as done. That's the pastoral message that Paul has for these people and for us. Listen, you are, to use the old word that I like, you are being buffeted from without. Which just means, of course, externally we experience suffering and persecution. You may not be now Christian, but you will. And internally, we struggle with our own sin. We struggle with our own sin. And Paul says, neither one of those things is going to keep you from getting to glory. There's nothing that can keep you as a Christian from making it home. There's nothing at all that can keep you from having your body raised. Nothing. It's as good as done. Glorification and the golden chain. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. We went backwards. Now let's go forwards. Foreknowledge. Here's the golden chain. Five links. Foreknowledge. Predestination. Calling. Justification, glorification. You know, a lot of people get hung up on predestination, number two. And we understand why, but there's a sense in which we don't need to get hung up on that at all. We actually don't. Because there's something that comes before that. It's foreknowledge. And, and there's something that you actually need to get hung up on that you may not even realize that you need to get hung up on. And that's the middle thing, which is calling. Just take that, for example, okay? Just take calling, the middle golden chain link. You might just automatically assume, well, that's just the, the gospel call that goes to everybody. But if you look on closer inspection, it can't be that. It can't. You actually need to get hung up on this if you get hung up on something. You see, when God desires to save somebody, then God does it. When God sets his love upon somebody and has predestined them for eternity with him, then God will save them. You see, you can't, you can't honestly look at this. Uh, text here and say that calling in this particular instance means a call that goes to everybody which can be rejected the gospel call that goes to everybody in the world certainly can be rejected this calling cannot be rejected in God's timing he will call his people now how do I know that well again the links in the chain can't be broken don't take my word for it everyone who is called is justified is everyone who is called generally justified no no but in this case, everyone who is called, it's, it's referred to as the effectual call or, or sometimes irresistible grace or something like that. But it works. It works. You can't be justified. By the way, justification is also God's work. The reason you're justified is by God's grace through your faith. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ unto justification? Well, if you do, it's because God's call created faith in you. You see, this is not my ideas. This is what this scripture is speaking of. The call creates faith. The call enables you to believe. So don't get hung up on predestination. Get hung up on calling, but then don't get hung up on that. It's just, it's taught throughout the New Testament that God calls his people like Lazarus. Well, 
let's talk for just a few minutes about the controversial stuff as we uh, we did last week. Uh, predestination and election are two words that don't mean I- identically the same thing, although they basically overlap. And let me say, first of all, that every true Christian believes in election and predestination. Okay, now let me explain what I mean. Every true Christian receives the word of God as the word of God. And these are Bible words. So you've got to do something with them. It's not an option for the Christian to say, I don't believe in election or predestination. That's not an option because these are Bible words. And if you're a Christian, that's who you are. You love the word of God. A Christian is somebody who loves God, loves the people of God, and loves the word of God. Because we're born from above. We don't do those things to earn God's favor. But that's what a Christian is. A supernatural person who loves God, the people of God, and the word of God. And so every Christian believes in election and predestination. Granted that Christians and churches and denominations do disagree on what those words mean, right? I'm not going to deny that at all. Of course that's true. Every Christian believes in these things. We certainly disagree about what they mean. So very quickly, many who would take the view that would be opposite of our church's view, many who would take that view would say, well, you know what? As you've already pointed out, if you look at verse 29, kind of the idea, it's actually kind of solved there, isn't it? This old debate that people have, this old debate between free will and predestination, is it not solved in verse 29? We'll look there. I mean, foreknowledge, foreknew. And those who would take a certain view would say, of course, as you may know, this may be your view. They would say, well, we'll look there. And the Bible uses this foreknowledge thing many times. Clearly what it's saying is that God looked down because he's God, right? He's God. He knew in advance who would believe in him. And therefore he chose you because he knew that you would choose him. Excuse me. But I would remind you of Romans 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, Total depravity. And I would ask you to look more closely at verse 29. Because foreknowledge, right? uh, we, We all know just to know beforehand, right? To know beforehand. God is God. He knows everything beforehand. But foreknowledge here is more than just foresight. To me, this is really simple. I don't say that this is easy or that everybody should just come to my side. That's not what I'm saying. But just look, it does not say that he foreknew something about them. This is the most simple way I know how to say it. It does not say those whom he foreknew would believe in him. This is not talking about God knowing facts in advance. Does God know facts in advance? God knows everything. He knows everything. But what does it say? It says those whom he foreknew. This is actually a beautiful word. Don't get hung up on the word predestination. Don't get hung up on the word election. This word actually contains it all. Because the actual meaning of this word is that God chose and loved us from all of eternity past. That's the idea. It even sometimes has a sexual idea in the Old Testament. You've heard this before. A man knows his wife. Again, just the simplest way I can say it. It does not say 
God knew facts in advance. Those whom he foreknew would believe. It doesn't, that would be actually to turn the scripture on its head. To say the very opposite of what it says here. Foreknowledge is beautiful. Out of all the people of the earth, God said of Israel, you alone have I known. You see, this is the encouragement. This is the encouragement to you, fellow believer. This is your encouragement. Press on. I want you to worship God. I want you to press on. I want you to be joyful in your Christian life. I want you to know that if not suffering now, then suffering is around your corner. And I want you to know, fellow believer, that in Jesus Christ, you were foreknown before the foundation of the world. What matters is not if you say, I know Jesus. What matters is, does Jesus say, I know you? And every one of God's people, he knew them from all eternity past. I like what Christopher Ash says. Maybe you've heard something like this, and I won't, I won't keep you much longer. Christopher Ash says, the entrance to the Christian life is like an archway. You get this? As we approach from the outside, we see the open invitation, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. After we enter, we look back and see over the inside the words, chosen from before the foundation of the world. Both are equally true. All are invited to come, but those who come learn later that their coming and their subsequent perseverance are entirely by the grace of God. You go into the archway, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. That's what I need. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace because I have offended God and God has made salvation possible for me by his grace. And you, you're in through, through belief, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And you look back over the archway and it says, chosen from the, before the foundation of the world. The only thing I would add to what Christopher Ash says is, by the way, in that same passage that says, come to me, all, all who labor and are heavy laden. A few verses earlier in Matthew 11, just a few verses earlier, he speaks about God's choice. And so the scripture absolutely holds these things. Listen to what he says. Listen. The doctrine of predestination is for the purpose of promoting and deepening assurance in the face of suffering. This is not to debate. This is not to spar on Facebook. Foolish. The doctrine of predestination is to promote and deepen assurance in the face of suffering. All those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't get hung up on predestination. That's the only one that he really elaborates upon. Predestined to what? Predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son in order that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. This is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He alone lived a righteous life. He alone died in our place. He alone rose from the dead. He prays for believers. Have you been justified? Have you had God's powerful word of clemency, of mercy in his courtroom saying you are right? I give you my righteousness. I take your filthy rags of sin. I give you the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. You are justified. You are forgiven, but it is far more than mere forgiveness. 
you are declared right in my sight. If so, then you will be glorified. Verse 28 is part of the golden chain. All things work together for good. The Bible says all things work together for good. All things work together for good. The Bible says all things work together for good. Underneath that, for those that he has called according to his purpose, which is pretty much the same type of things that we've just been talking about. For those that he's called according to his purpose, all things work together for good to those who love God. For we, listen, for we know, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Your love, my love can be fickle. It's not based on our love for God. It's based on his sovereign love for us through Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love for us in this and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you, my friend, if you will repent and believe in the gospel. Turn away from your own ways. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us praise God for the doctrine of glorification this morning. Here's another definition from Stott. Our destiny is to be given new bodies in a new world. That's your destiny, to be given new bodies in a new world. When will this take place? As one old catechism said, when will this take place? Glorification. It will take place on the day of the Lord's return. It will usher in the glorified state. Believers will be raised in a renewed world while unbelievers will be raised to face eternal judgment. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Jesus has come and he is coming again. This reminds us of those two things. He has come, he is coming again, and he does not leave us now to just figure it out on our own. He doesn't say, here's what I did on the cross, and here's what I'm going to do in the future. And oh, can you even imagine what he's going to do in the future based on his word? No, we can't. But he says, behold, I am with you now. Predestination leads to evangelism. Predestination should lead to mission. He is with us now to lead others to Christ, to comfort us in our suffering. He is with us now. Why will you not go to his word? Why will you stay away from prayer and his word? Why will you stay away from the people of God? Go to the word of God. Go to Christ. Go to him alone. He is a sufficient savior. Let's pray together. Lord, help us this morning. Help us to see. Help us to believe. Help us to rejoice. Help us to worship. Help us to repent and to trust in you. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the apple of your eye, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.